It's frustrating when we're so close to achieving something but it feels like it's out of our reach or that one piece of the puzzle just hasn't fallen into place yet. There are so many true crime cases where we seem to know so much but still have a lot of unanswered questions and today's case is no exception. I've said it before and I'll say it again, sometimes it only takes one person to hear the right information for these cases to become solved, which is exactly why I have chosen to tell you about this case today. Let's uncover the unsolved murder of the Grundy County Jane Doe. Hello and welcome to the 42nd episode of Uncover True Crime Podcast. My name is Stephanie and each week we uncover a different unsolved true crime case, ranging from unsolved murders missing persons, Jane and John Doe's and suspicious deaths. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and other podcast streaming apps as well as on YouTube by searching Uncovered True Crime. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Uncover underscore pod and on Instagram at Uncovered True Crime Pod. Before we get into the episode, I want to wish each and every one of you a happy new year. I know that 2020 was trying, to say the least, but I really hope that 2021 gives you everything that you're hoping it will and that the struggles from last year will start to ease a little bit as we get into this year. If you have listened to the podcast for a while, you will know that this is the first episode I have released in about two months. I had quite a significant life change and don't worry, I'm not going to go into it. I'm sure that no one cares and I totally understand understand you don't listen to this podcast to hear about my personal life but I did want to address it and thank each and every one of you for listening to this episode today. Going forward I'm going to start releasing episodes every two weeks. This will not be permanent but for the time being it gives me a bit of breathing space so I can research, record and plan all these episodes ahead of time. For anyone that doesn't know I'm a single parent and I work full time This podcast is just something I do on the side as a hobby, so I'm not able to dedicate as much time to it as, say, other full-time podcasters can. I really want to get to a point where I'm about four to six weeks ahead so that I'm not rushing every week to put out an episode. I really do care about the cases I present to you and I want to give each and every one as much time and dedication as I possibly can. Also, just to remind you that if you have any cases you would like me to cover, the case suggestion form is always in the description of my episodes. Obviously, I will let you know when the episodes go back to weekly, but again, thank you all for your support. Another quick thing before we uncover today's case, there are two small updates on cases we have previously covered. The first update is related to the case of Mary Duncan, whose disappearance we covered in episode 27. Last month, in December 2020, Police Scotland announced that ground searches they had been conducting had ended with, quote, no positive result, unquote. They were searching two sites at Alexandria's Vale of Leaven Hospital and a, quote, residential area in Helensburg, unquote. This must be a massive blow to the Duncan family and I'm sending them all my love and well wishes at this time. I will of course keep you all updated on any further developments and searches in her case. The next update isn't really about the case that we covered but about a family member of the victim. In episode 32, we uncovered Daisy Coleman's story. Daisy Coleman was a rape survivor who sadly took her life back in August of 2020. And I'm very sad to tell you all that her mother, Melinda Coleman, 
also took her own life on the 6th of December 2020, just four months after Daisy died. This poor family has gone through so much. First, the loss of Daisy's father back in 2007, the loss of Daisy's brother Tristan in 2018, and now also Daisy and Melinda have now passed away in 2020. My heart goes out to all of the Coleman family and their friends. And while I'm sure there's very little that anyone could say to take away even a little bit of your pain, I really do hope that you start to grieve and heal soon. But without any further ado, let's uncover the unsolved murder of the Grundy County Jane Doe. On the 2nd of October 1976, 12-year-old Robin Henderson Mitchell, her father and grandfather rode their tractor on a soybean field in Grunty, Illinois, when they came across a body. They initially thought it was a deer, but as they got closer they were horrified to realise it was the body of a female and called the police. The woman was naked apart from a red, white and black knitted cardigan that had a bottle of TJ Swan wine in the pocket. There was a green plastic bag and jumper pulled over her head and when they took it off they found that she was disfigured beyond recognition. Detective Ron Fox, who worked the case at the time, told the Morris Dairy Herald that the pathologist told him to treat her death as an overdose until they could definitely pinpoint the cause of death. This is very bizarre because it was clear to detectives on the scene that she had been shot once in the back of the head and that the bullet had exited through her forehead, which is what caused her facial injuries. Given that the woman was referred to as a quote-unquote Negro in some newspaper articles and that the police assumed she was not from the area because it was mainly white people that lived there, it seems to me that the attempt to label her death as an overdose was probably due to the colour of her skin. Despite this, her manner of death was listed as a homicide and the medical examiner determined that she had probably been killed on the 1st of October 1976, around 24 hours before she was found. They also concluded that the injuries to her face were gunshot injuries and that she had in fact died from a gunshot wound to the back of the head. They were confident that she had not died where she was found and, as I have already stated, they did not believe she was from Grundy County and it is possible that her killer or killers dumped her far enough away from where she was from to throw police off the track. The police ran the woman's fingerprints through several databases and issued a sketch of what she may have looked like. However, no one came forward claiming to know her, so she was buried in an unmarked grave 54 days after she was found. The investigation did not stop there though, as police put her sketch on an electronic billboard outside the Gillette Regional Airport, which is located around 22 miles from where she was found, with the caption, quote, The year was 1976, who am I? Unquote. Jane Doe was exhumed in December 2018 and the Grundy County Coroner John Callahan was delighted to discover that her body had been very well preserved and that they had teeth and hair to work with, saying, quote, It was an exciting day, unquote. In January 2019, they sent part of her skull and her femur bone to the University of North Texas Centre for Human Identification, which is run by NamUs, and they were able to get a sample of her DNA to compare to missing women that fit her description. As of January 2021, 26 missing people have been ruled out as being the Grundy County Jane Doe, and I'm going to list them now. Lyran Yvonne Barry Stallings, last seen on the 1st of June 1960 in St. Louis, Missouri. Phyllis Graham, last seen on the 16th of August 1971 in Richland, South Carolina. Katrina Ashford, 
last seen on the 11th of July 1972 in Marin, California. Tracy Davenport, last seen on the 27th of April 1973, also from Marin, California. Catherine Davidson, last seen on the 1st of September 1973, from Boreen, Michigan. Margaret Dash, last seen on the 14th of June 1974, from Pinellas, California. Shirley Scott, last seen on the 1st of July 1974, in Cook, Illinois. Frances Heath, last seen on the 13th of August 1974 in Ashley, Arizona. Ella Maynard, last seen on the 4th of December 1974 in Guilford, North Carolina. Consula Cash, last seen on the 3rd of January 1975 in Los Angeles, California. Aleka Manning, last seen on the 17th of February 1975 in Maricopa, Arizona. Alice Jefferson, last seen on the 4th of July 1975 in Christian, Kentucky. Cherise McGee, last seen on the 1st of August 1975 in Clark, Nevada. Marion Hawkins, last seen on the 7th of October 1975 in Los Angeles, California. Mabel Andrews, last seen on the 16th of January 1976 in Orange County, Florida. Brenda Moore, last seen on the 7th of March 1976 in Travis, Texas. Margie Phillips, last seen on the 22nd of April 1976 in Lee, Florida. Jennifer Barton, last seen on the 16th of May 1976 in Travis, Texas. Deborah Stewart, last seen on the 21st of July 1976 also from Travis, Texas. Barbara Jolly, last seen on the 22nd of August 1976 in King, Washington. Ivory Maitre, Violet Maitre and Yolanda Williams, who all went missing together on the 20th of July 1977 from Los Angeles, California. Patricia Brown, last seen on the 1st of January 1979 in Cook, Illinois. Susan Redding, last seen on the 1st of January 1980 in Georgia, and Estelle Perry, last seen on the 5th of April 1983 from Montgomery, Alabama. The DNA Doe Project are now working on her case and have found out a lot about Jane Doe's lineage. In November 2019, they announced that they had found a fourth or fifth cousin and a set of grandparents of hers living in Alabama. From this, they continue to look into her family tree, and this is the information they have gleaned so far. She was probably born between 1948 to 1960, meaning she was likely between 16 to 28 years old when she died. She would have been missing no later than October 1976. Her parents and at least one set of grandparents might have been from Salima, Alabama, but she may also have had relatives in other parts of Alabama, including Dallas County and Wilcox County. One of her grandparents may have had the last name Calhoun, and one of her great-grandparents might have had the last name Harris. At least one branch of her family may have moved to Ohio, and she might have had siblings that are unaware of her existence. This all sounds very promising, and it looks like the DNA Doe Project are very close to identifying her, but we need to get this information to the right people. To people who might have known her, or her family, or possibly to her family, so they can finally bring her home. Jane Doe's case has stuck with Deputy Coroner Brandon Johnson for years, and he is determined to find her true identity, so much so that he has kept two small pieces of her skull in his office. Quote, 
There's a constant reminder of what I am doing and to keep trying. I feel dedicated to solve this and give her the name that she deserves." Unquote. He is not the only one, as several detectives who initially worked the case, as well as the people who found her all those years ago, still wonder who she is and feels for her family who have gone over 40 years without knowing what happened to their loved one. I'm now going to give you a description of the Grundy County Jane Doe. She was an African-American female who was between 15 to 28 years old when she was killed in 1976. She had black afro hair and brown eyes, stood at 5 foot 7 inches tall and weighed 150 pounds. She had a scar on her right hip and a birthmark on the lower right part of her abdomen. When she was found, she was wearing a red, white and black knitted cardigan and there was a bottle of TJ Swan wine in the pocket. If you have any information on the Grundy County Jane Doe's murder or you think you may know her real name, please contact the Grundy County Coroner's Office on 815-942-8792 and quote the case number 107636. All pictures and sources related to this case can be found on our website, uncoveredtruecrimepodcast.co.uk. That is everything I have for you today. Thank you for listening to the very end. Please stay safe and have a good night.